I'm going to go through the verses in this passage as I, as I normally do, but, but be, before I do that, I, I feel led to say some things just to kind of clear the air uh, so that we're able to actually hear what these verses say to us, and not just these verses, but really the message of this whole chapter. There's not too many things in the Bible that, that people bring strong, and I mean really strong, preconceived ideas to more than the things in this chapter. So, again, I want to just, I just want to share some things that I think might help clear the air. First of all, we need to get our opinions and our practices about prophecy and tongues straight from God's word not from our particular church background or heritage. Uh, We need to look at just what the Bible says about these two gifts of the Spirit that are so prominent here in this chapter and, and throughout the book of Acts. Now, in our life group Wednesday night, we read verses 1 through 5. That was what Josh taught on last Sunday. And so we started out our life group by simply reading through, well, actually, we prayed for about a half hour first. <laughs> we, uh, we, really, we really stormed the gates of heaven for some people here in the church family. But, but after that, we, we read these verses uh, that Josh taught on last, last week. And when we got done reading them, I said, why all the controversy? This seems so clear. And I'm just going to read it again. Verses 1 through 5, right? The preceding verses to our passage today. Pursue love. Okay, do, do, does everybody understand what that means? I mean, okay, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to really pursue being loving people. And earnestly desire spiritual gifts. I mean, just in general, we are supposed to just earnestly desire spiritual gifts. I mean, that, I think that's pretty, pretty clear too. Especially that you may prophesy. Now, we, we might have not understand fully what prophecy is, but, but I think the statement itself is pretty easy to understand. As, as desire spiritual gifts, but there's a particular kind of gift that you should really make sure that you pursue and earnestly desire. And then he gives the reason for the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him. He utters mysteries in the Spirit or by the Spirit. So he's saying that, yeah, those who speak in tongues or exercise that gift of tongues, that's primarily to God because no one understands them but God. And it's mysterious to other people. It's mysteries by the Spirit. On the other hand, one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. There's nothing wrong with building up yourself, but the reason that prophecy has a greater benefit is it builds up the whole church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. Right? That's a fairly clear statement, but even more that you would prophesy. Right? He's not, not, not negating the gift of tongues, but he's just saying, I want you all to speak in tongues, but, but there's something even more that I want you to do. I want you to learn how to exercise this gift of prophecy. For the one who prophesies is, is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Well, again, we read through that 
uh, Wednesday night in life group, and I thought, you know, I don't think that's very confusing. I think if we just take it for what it says, I, I think it speaks pretty clearly to us. Uh, but I, I think the thing that, that may make it confusing or scary is just the, the baggage that we bring to it or perhaps past experiences of, of maybe misuse or abuse that we, that we bring to it. So I want to say this. Our role as elders, and you could say this about the role of any elders, but I'm going to say the, the role of, of elders, our, elder, our role as elders, I'll get it out here, our role as elders here at Real Life Church is not to decide that we want to be a certain kind of church and then to push everybody in that direction. We are not trying to become more charismatic or trying to be more anything because we have chosen that as if it was up to us to decide what kind of church we are to be. We want, we only want to continually to take us in the direction of greater conformity to the word of God. So our time in Acts and our time in these chapters in 1 Corinthians is to expose us to the realities of the Bible, to break through the prejudices that any of us come to the Bible with, and to move toward what we are to be as a church from the Bible. In the book of Acts and, in, of course, in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, there's, there's a lot about Lots of different spiritual gifts, but especially about the two gifts that are focused on in this chapter, which is tongues and prophecy. So we need to know what the Bible says about those gifts, and we need to put into practice what it says. Secondly, to just kind of clear the air or cut away some weeds uh, before before we actually look at some more about what this chapter teaches us. I think it is important to keep in mind that there was a unique problem in the church at Corinth, which we do not have. We have our own problems, I am sure, (laughs) but not the one that they had at Corinth. In the church at Corinth, speaking in tongues had become the main thing that was going on at church. (laughs) They had become so enamored with this gift that the exercise or speaking in tongues had become just the the prominent thing in the church meeting. And so it became such a big part of their gathering that Paul knew he had to correct it. And just quite frankly... This is hardly a problem that we have at Real Life Church. I I don't think that anyone has ever publicly gotten up and spoken in tongues in the church meeting here other than either privately to to themselves that maybe you've overheard or they've uttered at the end of a prayer or when praying with someone after the service. So I I don't think Paul would look at, at our church, at Real Life Church, and say, man, they had this massive problem with everybody speaking in tongues at their service. 
I just don't, I just don't, don't see that. And so I think we, we have to kind of keep this, this whole perspective in mind as, as we approach this. And so many times, certain teachers have used this chapter as, as a kind of sledgehammer to, to stamp out tongues in churches where nobody or hardly anybody speaks in tongues anyway. And that just seems like a gigantic overreaction or, or misuse of this chapter. Okay, I know I'm just sharing my heart. I'm knowing being honest here. I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea how people are reacting to what I'm saying. But, but I'm just sharing what I, I think need, you know, needs to be said or brought out in the open to, to deal with this. You know, even at Corinth, where, where there was a vast problem with overemphasis on tongues, overemphasis on tongues, Paul does not come with a sledgehammer to crush this gift. He comes with some strong statements to correct, but not to crush. In fact, he ends up, and if if we take this chapter just at face value, just at what the Apostle Paul says, he ends up protecting the use of tongues when there is interpretation, even in the church meeting. And he also warns that no one should forbid anyone to speak in tongues. Now, you know, I say some of that just, just, just because I, need, we, I think we need to talk about some of those things. Uh, Cindy and I were at a, at a conference. Some of you know we traveled down to Oklahoma City at Sam Storm's church uh, last week. Not Sam, but another uh, guy who was there that we really appreciated uh, talking to. And he said, you know, in, in our church, we always believed in speaking in tongues. It was part of our doctrinal statement that we accepted the gifts of the spirits. We were not a cessationist church. And we, we, we believed in all of the gifts of the spirit. But he said the first time that we had tongues and interpretation in the church meeting, half the church left. So, I mean, that's why I say these things. I mean, we, we, ha- we have to either buy in to what Paul actually says here or not. I mean, we can choose. We can choose to walk away from it. We can choose to to reject it, but we have to, at some point in our, in our spiritual journey, we have to say, what does the Bible actually say? And are, are we going to are we going to kind of interpret or explain it away? Or are we going to deal with it? Are we going to are we going to accept it? Are we going to open our hearts and our minds and our lives to it and move forward? Now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue in this vein here for just uh, another minute here as, as the Spirit leads. Uh, I want to I share with you what I, what I think the benefits of this chapter are, I, I think, for everybody. And I think this would be applied just from the Bible, just from the Scriptures. This would apply to everybody, but, or ev- everybody in all times. But in one sense, I want to share what I think are the, the three Maybe four. I'm not sure if I listed three or four, but I think three benefits of this chapter for us. Okay, for for those of us right here in this room, and we got a lot of people gone this morning. But for people here at Real Life Church, what are the great benefits of this chapter? Okay, I think the first great benefit of, of this chapter is for those who, and I. I, I I say first, not by priority. I just happens to be off the top of my head. Okay, not don't don't take any hidden meaning from this fact that I say put this one first. For the the first great benefit of this chapter is for those who do speak in tongues or 
or have the gift of prophecy. It is for them to have a greater understanding of those gifts that they have and how and when to use them. You know, when you find that you have an ability from God's Spirit, and that's what spiritual gifts are. They're just a unique and special capability that you have that somebody else may, might not have, but they're special in, in enablements of the Spirit. And when you have those, you want to use those in the way that God wants you to, right? And because of the clear teaching in in this chapter and, and really all through chapters 12, 13, and 14 that were given, but because of the clear teaching in this chapter and how these gifts are to be used and where they're to be used, it should give you great encouragement and freedom to use the gifts you have in the right way without fear. Okay. Now, unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. Uh, we Again, we were at uh, Sam Storm's uh, church in Oklahoma City last week, and he didn't sh- share this. I don't think he shared it. He, I read it in something that he wrote. Uh, but he, he wrote how he grew up in a Southern Baptist church. And as a college student, uh, he said, you know, one night in October of 1970, quite without warning, my normal routine, routine prayer was radically interrupted. I suddenly began speaking forth words of uncertain sound and form. And while this linguistic flood continued to pour forth, I kept thinking to myself, Sam, what are you saying? Are you speaking in tongues? I was confused, but at the same time, felt closer to God than ever before. That's a very abbreviated form of his testimony on this. But here's the point. When he innocently shared that experience, or innocently, enthusiastically, or maybe I should say naively, enthusiastically shared that experience with some other people, They warned him, if you admit to anybody that you have that gift, you won't be accepted at the seminary you're planning to go to. Or if you decide to go on staff of Campus Crusade for Christ, they won't let you. So he said, you better better just stop it. So he said he did not pray in tongues for, again, for 20 years. Until, at that time, 20 years later, he regained assurance from the scriptures that used in the right way, in the right place, speaking in tongues was a precious gift for communicating with God. So we do not want anyone here to feel fearful or intimidated about practicing any of the spiritual gifts in the right way, the right place, at the right time. We want you to know there's freedom and and a welcoming atmosphere atmosphere. For you here in this place. I mean, it, it's a crying shame. And honestly, it, it, it is a crying shame that people have been terrified in certain places and certain churches of using gifts of the Spirit, whether tongues or prophecy or, or some other gift. And, and, and not just because we want that to happen, but because, again, the Bible, the Scriptures, gives that liberty and not only the liberty, but, but a downright appeal, a, a, a beseeching, an admonition to earnestly desire and seek and pursue, go after these things. 
So although there, there is a correction here about the misuse of tongues, we really have, in another sense, a strong affirmation about speaking in tongues as they are used in the right way for their God-given purpose, which Paul says is of prayer and of praise and of speaking to God. And again, you know, Paul said that he himself spoke in tongues more than any of the people at Corinth. And he said, I thank God for that. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. And he said, I wish you all spoke in tongues. But for the church meeting, he said, I wish even more that you would prophesy. And then he, sh- he shows us when and where tongues are beneficial and when and where they are not. And the one place that they are not that beneficial is in the corporate gathering when we're, when we're all together. And so since prophecy benefits other believers... It is, ha- it is to have the greater emphasis. It's, the, to, it's more important, the more important gift when we are all together. And so, those, those, again, those who have the, the gift of prophecy or, or are, are learning to, to use that gift, they should find great encouragement here in this, in this chapter to exercise that and to grow in that and to seek to grow in that in various ways within the church family. All right, the second benefit of this chapter for us, for this church, is for those who do not speak in tongues and who do not prophesy. The benefit is for those to understand, even if we don't have those gifts, to understand uh, what those gifts are, to respect and appreciate those gifts in others, to, to understand their proper place in the church, even if you don't use those gifts yourself. You know, there are certainly spiritual gifts that I do not have. I do not have every single spiritual gift. But I want to understand about every gift, whether I have it or not, as much as I can, regardless of what, what gifts any of us have or do not have, we need to know about all of the gifts of the Spirit spelled out in the Bible. Otherwise, many passages in the Bible will not make sense to you now or ever. And when other people exercise those gifts, when other people use those gifts, it won't make sense to you if you don't know what the Bible says about them. For example, when Paul says... uh, in 1 Timothy 4, 4, he said, Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Well, if we don't understand anything about gifts or about prophecy, this is like a nonsense passage. Or when Paul said, Do not put out the fire of the Spirit, or some version says, Do not quench the Spirit. But he said, Do not put out the fire of the Spirit and do not despise prophecies. Or do not despise prophetic utterances. Or when you read about uh, tongues and prophecy in Acts, or here in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and if, if, we, if we don't listen to what these things are, even if we don't have those gifts, if we don't know what these things are, how can we understand what God is saying to us? So, in a sense, just to be spiritually educated, so to speak, uh, in a sense, just to grow up in our understanding in the things of the Spirit, just to grow up in our understanding in the things of God, we need 
we need to have open hearts and ears and minds to, 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 to learn about this, this stuff. All right, the third benefit of this chapter, and I did just have three, not four. Okay, the third benefit of this chapter for those of us in, in this, this church is for those who have never spoken in tongues or shared a prophecy, but who want to, okay? You're, you're not experienced with those gifts, but you desire to, but you want to. You want to experience those gifts. This chapter alone should give, regardless of all the other places in Scripture and the book of Acts, should give you assurance that it is a good thing that you pursue, pursue those gifts. You know, like last week when we appointed David as an elder, it says, it is a good thing if you desire to be an overseer. Well, Paul would say, it's a good thing if you desire to, to prophesy. I think he would say it was a good thing if you desire to speak in tongues. I think he would say it's a good thing if you desire to, to, to speak a word of knowledge or have a gift of teaching or have the gift of encouragement or any of the gifts that are mentioned. It's a good thing. So if you, if you desire, uh, and I'm going to deal with these two gifts, but if you desire to speak in tongues, you, you should be encouraged to ask for that gift without fear. If you desire to prophesy, you should ask for that gift and seek that. You know, to be able to perceive what the Spirit is speaking, to encourage, strengthen, and comfort others in times of need is, is such, such a needed gift. And, of course, we're commanded to desire that, so certainly you should feel uh, free to desire and seek those enablements from the Spirit. Now, uh, as, we, as we've said repeatedly, and I don't mean to be too redundant on this, but it just we have to, we have to understand what the... What is the theme of this chapter? What is the theme? Really, chapters 12 through 14. I would say the overall message of this chapter is that while tongues are a good gift from the Spirit, prophecy or speaking things that people clearly understand in the church meeting is to have the priority. And that's what verse 6, that's that's now where we come to to our passage in verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Or I think the ESV says, what benefit will I be to you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching or word of instruction, the NIV says. So, so Paul, Paul had said earlier in verse 2, which, which we read earlier in the message, that, that the primary use of tongues was in speaking to God. He said in verse 2, for the one who speaks in a tongue speaks to, to God. Not to people, but to God. He says they, they utter mysteries by the Spirit, in the Spirit or by the Spirit. They're, so speaking in tongues, the gift of tongues, is primarily for God because... No one but God understands what the person is saying. It, it is, he, Paul says it's a mystery. You're speaking mysteries to other people. And they speak these mysteries by the Spirit. In other words, they speak these mysteries, speaking in tongues is, 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 in, is inspired, it's motivated, it's, it's brought about by a working of the Holy Spirit. They speak these mysteries by the, by the Holy Spirit who gives 
the ability to speak to God in these sounds and syllables and words or tongues, as, as it's said. Yet, even though these utterances are by the Spirit or from the Spirit, they have limited use in the church meeting. Is it good to speak to God? Of course. And verse 16, 14 through 16, which is not in our passage today, tells us that tongues are a way to pray to God, to sing to God, to praise God. And for that purpose, they're, they're a great thing. But there are some things that you and I might do when we are alone with God that are a great blessing to us and to God, but which would be distracting and unhelpful when we are with other people. Okay, and I, I don't, I, I, I never like to repeat myself, but I, I'm going to repeat that sentence, okay? There are some things we might do when we are alone with God that are a great blessing to us and to God, but which would be distracting or unhelpful when we are with other people. So Paul makes a case in this chapter for a, what I will call a controlled use of speaking in tongues in the church meeting. You can pray in tongues all you want in your prayer closet. You can sing in tongues. You can praise God in tongues. You can worship God. You can intercede for people in tongues. You can do that all you want. But he makes a case for a controlled use of tongues in the church, in the church meeting because of this very important principle, or maybe I should say this very important question, what good will it be for others? Okay. And again, I'm going to re- read verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? He doesn't say that because tongues in themselves are not good, but because they're not good for the church meeting. The one exception Paul gives for tongues in church was already given to us in verse 5, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Okay. Paul continues this theme in these what may seem like very strange verses to us or in, in verses 7 through 11. He says, Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as a pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? You know, I don't know how many of you learned to play an, a musical instrument when you're growing up, but, you know, when you first start playing an, a musical instrument, you, you can't make, you can't distinguish any notes. All you can do is make sounds. I played a trumpet and i mean it sounded horrible at first and i've heard my own kids my own kids obviously became very accomplished musicians but i remember you know when you just you just hear the, the kids when they're first learning to play an instrument they can't really get the notes out it just it it's not helpful it doesn't it doesn't edify you it doesn't it doesn't build you up And you certainly don't know what tune is being played, as Paul says. (laughs) Verse 8, again, or also, if a trumpet does uh, does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? 
you will just be speaking into the air. Verse 10, undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages or tongues in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I, if then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So, again, Paul says, speaking in tongues in the church setting, speaking in tongues alone without interpretation, it's just like making sounds on an, on an instrument but not playing any notes. Uh, no one knows what is being played. No one enjoys the music. No one benefits. A trumpet was used to call, uh, communicate certain messages by playing certain notes and sounds, particularly to call soldiers to battle. But if the trumpet doesn't play any specific notes that clearly communicate the call to battle, no one will get ready, Paul said. In the same way, if we speak to one another in church meetings, uh, or unless we speak to one one another in church meetings in ways that others understand, it is just like we are talking into the air. Paul, he says it's like foreign, we're like foreigners to each other, and no one understands what anyone else says. So, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure why why the church at Corinth uh, became so enamored with 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 everybody just getting together and just speaking in tongues. Uh, I, I mean, Paul says it's just like you're getting together like a bunch like you're all all from different countries, all speaking in languages that the other no one else understands. This is no no real benefit is going to come from that. Now. What, what, in contrast to that, what, what does Paul say does bring benefit? He says, okay. He says, what does bring benefit to others is bringing a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. That's what he says in verse, verse 6. Now, those probably all use, need some explanation, and I would love to, like, take three Sundays and go into a, a detailed explanation of, of each one of those and really learn what they, what they all, all say. And, and I'm going to touch on them. But Paul's point is that all of those things, a revelation, sharing a revelation, a knowledge, a prophecy, or teaching, those all communicate something in normal human words that everybody can understand what you're saying. Okay? And just as kind of a side, side note, uh, I, I saw, I hope I don't embarrass, well, I, I, I won't point anyone out. A certain someone in the church meeting here this morning, when they found out that the young kids were staying in the service, just flopped over in their seat in despair and disappointment. <laughs> and, you know, what, I, what it made me think of is, man, we need to speak in such a way that even the younger, youngest kids understand. And it's hard to do that, but we should have a passion. This is kind of a little bunny trail here. But there's a principle here that we need to speak in the church meeting so that people understand. And I know it's Josh's passion, it's my passion to try to speak in a way that the kids, the old people like me, the uh, people who uh, don't know a lot about the Bible, that everybody can, as much as possible, understand what is being said. All right. Teach, I'm just going to run through these really quickly. Like I said, you could spend weeks on this. But uh, teaching is primarily explaining the unchanging truths of the gospel revealed to us in God's written word. 
Prophecy is communicating something that God has brought to your mind spontaneously that is needed for a present situation. Uh, you know, there's, there are thousands of truths revealed in God's word. But what is God saying to us now? Even what portion of God's word needs to be said and spoken to this person in this situation or to this church family today, now, in their circumstances? And it, it, it takes a, an inspiration, a leading, a moving, a working of the Holy Spirit, a revelation from the Holy Spirit to know what we need to say to one another, to comfort, to encourage, to build up people. That's what, why we need to earnestly desire and, and pray for that. Uh, revelation is, is some, anything that God shows you or he lets you see clearly by special in, inspiration. Knowledge, we know, is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's information or useful information that the Spirit gives you that can be shared with other believers. But again, the point is of, of this. When you, when you share any of these things, people can understand what you're saying. And that's why Paul particularly focuses on the gift of prophecy in the church meeting because it's clear communication. It's saying, saying something that you understand, you hear, you understand, you know what was said. It can benefit you. You can go home and be encouraged and blessed and built up by it. Then, verse 12, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. And that's, that's the great truth in this chapter. Do what you do for the church. Do what you do for the church. Do what you do for the good of the church. And, you know, we all, every one of us, I don't care what gifts you have, what gifts you don't have, every one of us should have a passion to do good for the church, to benefit and bless and build up others. And, I mean, what I, even as we come to church on a Sunday morning, I mean I, know, I mean, I know what it's like to kind of make that transition from sleep to waking up and how groggy you can feel at times and you got things, you know, responsibilities and uh, I mean, I, I know how, how, how unspiritual you can feel at times. But we need to stir up ourselves, even when we, when we come to church or life group or small group Bible study or just get together with someone for coffee. We, 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 need to, we need to stir up that passion to come to somehow, God, let me be a blessing to other people. Let me be a benefit to one other person at least there in that meeting. Um, and we should, we should we, every time we come, come together, we should, we should ask God, make me, make me a blessing. Enable me to do something for the benefit, the upbuilding, the encouragement of other people. And what a difference that makes in our attitude about coming to church. What a difference that makes about even coming to life group or getting together w- with other believers in any, any format. Um, it takes it takes the the drudgery out of it. It 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 it's, gives us a sense of pur- purpose and anticipation of usefulness that God wants to use you. Now, pro- Paul said that prophecy should uh, should have the priority in the church. I mean, that's the whole emphasis of this chapter. Um, so it would be important to know what prophecies are, and I'm. I think it's going to take all of our time through this chapter and then plus probably a lot of prayer and seeking and studying on your own to, 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 really, to really understand because I think it covers a lot. But I'm going to do my best in a short time 
to share some things with you that I think are important. So if Paul appeals us to us to pursue the gift of prophecy, then we, then we, should, we, should want, we should be motivated to understand what it is and, of course, be motivated to pursue it. Prophecy, in the most basic sense, simply means to speak or to speak on behalf of someone else. Uh, I've always found it so interesting that Paul uses this word of a prophet to describe an unbeliever in Titus chapter 1, verse 12. He says, one of the Cretans, in other words, he's talking about one of, the, one of the people on the island of Crete. He said, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That was his, prof- that was his prophetic word, okay? And Paul was not referring to a saved person, but he was, just spo- he was, he was talking about someone who, who spoke out a viewpoint, and it happened to be about the culture on the island of Crete, but a prophet is is someone is someone who is who speaks who speaks on behalf of another who because of something that is stirred up speaks and later on this chapter Paul said for you can all, all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged and certainly he was he was talking about a certain kind of speaking prophecy but he was basically saying you can all take a turn to speak what God has put in your heart and he, he described later on again, Paul described prophecy as receiving a revelation. He says some, one person is prophesying, but another person who's seated receives a revelation, and they, then they share their, their word, their prophecy. The, f- the first time that I think someone prophesied to me, uh, I was not aware that it was a prophecy at the time. Uh, and I am quite sure that the person speaking never would have said he was using this gift, but I think he was. Uh, I was going into my junior year at Iowa State University uh, at, a, at a summer training program with a Christian group called the Navigators. And it so happened that our training program was held at a campus at a small Christian college in Omaha that I had attended one year for my freshman year. And a guy named Al Jensen, who was in the Navigator training program with me, uh, one time, we were there for like six weeks, and during that time, he just happened to pick up a, a yearbook uh, f- somewhere on campus there. I don't even know where he found it. Fr- from my freshman year, just happened to open up, and he saw m- my picture, you know, one of those little pictures, like a yearbook picture. And, it, and he had no idea that I'd gone to school there, so he's, he's totally surprised <laughs> to see my picture. And it's kind of amazing, just having to open up and see, see my picture there. Anyway, he came to me and told me about this, but here was the, here was the prophetic part, at least to me, uh, and quite personal part. He said, as I was looking at your picture, I felt God tell me that he was going to use your life. And so I just want to tell you, Reed, God is going to use your life. There was nothing grandiose. He didn't say you're going to win billions to the Lord you're going to go fill stadiums, you know, n- nothing like super grandiose. It just read God is going to use your life. And I doubt that Al had ever heard of the spiritual gift of prophecy. It just, it wasn't a category that we used in the navigators at all. But I think he exercised that gift and it, you know, it brought great encouragement to me. And it, it came to me with, which is power and affirmation of the spirit. 
I, I felt the Spirit when he shared that, that with me. I think some of you, perhaps many of you, have, have, have prophesied on some level and did not know you were doing that. You know, something came to your mind to share with someone or with the church, and you spoke it or wrote it. And maybe you even thought, wow, where did that come from? But I, I just feel it's on my heart to share with someone or with the church. And it came... And it, and it, and it came, just came forth from you. It's just like you've, you felt compelled. You know, and I don't want to embarrass any, anyone here, and I, hope, I sure hope I don't. But, you know, Mike Sheeks has sometimes left me a voicemail or a text that I could tell was prompted by the Spirit. And it came to me with such a sense of blessing and encouragement. And, and perhaps it was just the gift of encouragement, but it was a powerful gift of encouragement. But it, and it came with such, with such, uh, such power that I, I also think it was a, a kind of prophecy. It's just stirred up. His heart was stirred up to share something with me that blessed me. Uh, the gift of prophecy is, I like to say, it's supernaturally natural. Uh, it's natural in that it is spoken in normal human words in a normal tone of voice that people understand. You do not you do not go into a trance to share a prophecy. There are trances in the Bible. I'm not speaking against trances, okay? There are trances in the Bible. But that's not what happens in prophecy. Uh, You don't change your voice to sound like uh, Charleston Heston in the Ten Commandments or something. You, you, You just... You just speak forth what God has given you to share, to encourage, to build up, to comfort the church or another person. But yet, having said that, please hear me. It's natural. It's done in a natural way. But yet prophecy is supernatural in that you receive thoughts, words, or phrases that come from the Spirit to share with the church or a brother or sister. And I do not want to minimize that aspect of it. And Paul calls it receiving a revelation, receiving a revelation from God. But then you speak out that revelation. So it is supernatural, and it is more than just your thoughts. Uh, A theologian that I highly respect, uh, Wayne Grudem, wrote wrote this. And I I think it's very helpful. He said, the source of prophecy is a revelation from God that comes spontaneously to mind and probably took the form of words, thoughts, or mental pictures that suddenly impressed themselves forcefully on the mind of the prophet. And then he, he goes on. This is not a continuous quote, but another place real close to that. He says, If we are to see the gift of prophecy functioning in our churches today, we must first believe that it is possible that God would give us such revelations from time to time. And second, we must allow ourselves to be receptive to such influences from the Holy Spirit, especially at times of prayer and worship. In practical terms, this would mean more time for listening for God or waiting on Him if God should bring 
something to mind in these times, then the person receiving such a revelation should tell the congregation what it is. And then he goes on to share an example. I'm not, I'm not sure how great of an example it is, but it communicates what he's saying. He goes on to share an example of some, someone having a sudden and urgent request or a sense that, that a request to pray for certain missionaries in Japan is needed. Then much later, those who prayed discovered that just at that time, these missionaries had been in an awful accident and needed those prayers. He said, Paul would call the sense or intuition of those things a revelation, and the report to the church of that prompting would be called a prophecy. And that's from Wayne Grudem's book, The Gift of Prophecy. But I'm going to wrap up here this morning by just saying this. Do we want God to show his presence and reality when we meet with others? Do you want God to show his presence and reality when you meet with others? Do you want God to show his presence and reality in our prayer meetings, in our life groups, in our men's and women's studies, in our church meeting? Do we want to hear things shared that that create a a sense that, God is speaking to us, a sense of awe and amazement. Like, how did that person know how badly I needed to hear that just at that time? Do we want Jesus Christ to be exalted in our meetings? Do we want his presence to be known and seen and, and felt? And it's just, it's not, it's not no longer just a theory that Jesus said, when two or three are gathered, I will be there in your midst. Do you, do you want to feel like, yeah, Jesus was right here and he was living and speaking and working among us? Do we want people to come to our church meetings and say, you know what, God is really among those people? Well, then we earnestly, or we need to earnestly desire to prophesy. We need to earnestly desire to speak under the revelatory inspiration of the Holy Spirit to one another. Let's pray.